have you with us this morning. Well, let's go ahead and dismiss our young folks, and we're going to take our Bible and go back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 10. Uh, we'll, I want to get into chapter 11. I cannot wait to get into Hebrews chapter 11, but we are in, in chapter 10. Now, we've been making our way quickly over the last several chapters. We have um, I've preached through the whole chapter in, in one setting in the last few weeks. And as we get to chapter 10, this is a, a more lengthy chapter. And um, I'm going to divide the chapter into two parts here this week and next week. And we'll focus in. And really in this portion of the book of Hebrews, as we get to chapter 10, we are actually we're reaching... Uh, really the, the final um, part of the doctrinal section on the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know that there's been uh, some very detailed doctrinal teaching that has um, you know, been coming through the last couple of, uh, of chapters. And as we get past verse number 18, really into the latter part of chapter 10, we step over into a lot of exhortation. There is here some more warning, um, warning from turning back, and we'll get back into that here next week. Um, but as we work our way through some exhortations in the latter part of chapter 10, we look forward to chapter number 11, which faith will be described, and there will be many, many examples of faith. And so we are headed in that direction in our study, and I hope you've been kind of reading ahead, and that's been I'm sure beneficial to you as you've um, thought about the book of Hebrews as a whole. And so as I look back, I was trying to count the messages yesterday. I think um, this is close to the um, almost uh, 30, 36 messages, I think it was, that we've already uh, had in the book of Hebrews, if I'm not mistaken. And so we are working our way through, and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And so here this morning, we're in Hebrews chapter 10. As you can see on your screen... We are talking about the supreme sacrifice for sin, and that sacrifice of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Hebrews 10, as we have recognized the contrasts that have been set forth in the previous chapters, uh, the contrast of the high priest, the contrast of the tabernacle, and here this morning, the contrast of the sacrifices that are made and we'll focus in there this morning. And I won't reread all that Brother Ryan read, but I just want to read a few of the verses and we'll pray and we'll get started here in Hebrews 10 this morning. Let's bow our head. And I'm sorry, let's, let's go to verse 1 and then we'll bow our head. Verse number 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because, I'm sorry there, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices... The, there is a remembrance again made of sin every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us today. Father, thank you for another opportunity to open the Word of God and to seek you for your truth. Father, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of your people 
Father, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, work in those that don't know you as Savior, that may be here today, Lord. I, I ask that uh, whether they be here or those that are watching uh, online this morning, Father, I, I pray that, uh, Lord, our hearts would be bowed humbly before you, Lord, with understanding of our great need. Father, most of all, our need for salvation. Lord, help us to see that uh, no effort of man, no effort of another man or our own effort will, uh, will be sufficient to pay for our own sin. But, Father, as we look toward you in repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he has made for us and the shedding of his blood and payment for our sins and his death and resurrection from the grave, Lord, we can have everlasting life. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts in a tremendous way, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, all right, here in this, um, again, this final section, as I like to look at as we get towards chapter 10, 11, this final section of the book of Hebrews, as we're transitioning kind of out of the great doctrinal teaching into much exhortation. There's a lot of wonderful preaching in the last part of Hebrews. But here this morning, our subject and our focus is on this great contrast, the contrast of sacrifices. And so we have contrasted before us the sacrifices that were made under the law in the old system, made by the great high priest, those high priests there that daily ministered there in the temple, the tabernacle. Those sacrifices are contrasted with the sacrifice of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, that once for all sacrifice that we'll talk about this morning. And I'm I'm so thankful we have the Word of God in our hand. We have this wonderful truth before our eyes. And so, as I pointed out, the two sections of chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 18, really the focus is there upon the sacrifice, the great contrast there. And then as we get into verse 19, there's a kind of a transition there. There is this exhortation to hold fast in the faith and to, and to not turn back. And then there's repercussions that are spoken of there for willful sin in the latter part of the chapter. But today we'll focus on verses 1 through 18. And so I want to talk this morning about why... The sacrifice of Christ is superior to the sacrifices under the Old Covenant. And that is really our objective this morning, to prove biblically why these sacrifices are inferior to the sacrifice that Christ made of Himself. Now, this was imperative to those that were hearing this or those that were, were reading this for the first time, but yet again, it's imperative for us to recognize these truths as well today. Now, there is nothing, as I mentioned in my prayer, there is nothing that man can do that will be received of God as a means of payment for sin outside of what God has ordained for that payment. And that is what we'll talk about this morning. And so, I want to first talk about the failure of the law, or the law's failure in our first point this morning, the law's failure. Now, I understand this, and I've 
taught this throughout our series, that the law was divinely ordained. It was ordered by God. The Bible says, as we study through this, given by dispensation of angels, that the, the Lord had, had a place, he had a purpose, he had a time and setting that the law was to be fulfilled, it was to be carried out. And we recognize, even in our study in the book of Romans in chapter 7, that uh, uh, the law is not a bad thing. Uh, the law is not an evil thing, but it had its time, it had its place, and we have talked about last week as God is, uh, has removed the old or set aside the old to bring forth the new, and we have expressed the, um, the importance of the new covenant, and again, um, the, the primary focus there on the nation of Israel and the new covenant, but also upon believers in Christ as we can be beneficiaries of the covenant. It hasn't been made to us and with us, but we, by God's grace, can become the beneficiaries of the blessings of that covenant through faith in Christ. Amen. And so here this morning, I want to first present to you the failure of the law. Though it was divinely appointed, though it was ordained by God to Israel, here it was good for a time, it was good for its place and purpose, yet when its sacrifice is set alongside the sacrifice of Christ, we see its insufficiency. We see its ineffectiveness to do that which God desires for it to do. Now, here, as we look at this sacrifice, as we look at the, the weaknesses of the, sacrifi the sacrifices of the law, and this is an undeniable fact, this is an undeniable truth that it cannot be set aside the sacrifice of Christ and weighed on an even balance. The sacrifice of Christ is far superior. So we'll, we'll point to reasons why this morning. Look there at verse number 1 again in chapter 10. It says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. And so we've talked about types and foreshadows throughout the series here. And so the law, the Bible says, having a shadow of good things to come. Those good things to come, as we've pointed to the, the new covenant, the sacrifice of Christ that would be made and so forth. The Bible says, and not the very image of the things, um, uh, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. And so that word perfect is an important word that I want to speak about and for you to think about this morning. And so here, these that, uh, that are, are, are coming, the Bible says, to make the comers thereunto Perfect. This, this idea of, of perfect or in a, in a right standing before God, it has the idea here of bringing to completion. Bringing to completion. We're not talking about sinless perfection here. We're talking about bringing to completion or bringing this work of atonement to completion. It's not to make them perfect. And so what the Bible presents to us this morning is that there was a need for something more. There was a need for something better. These sacrifices, though they are offered continually year after year, they could never make the comers thereunto perfect. In this we see the insufficiency of the sacrifice. The law could not make perfect. The law could not make perfect. So as we're thinking about this, the law's failure, the first thing there, the law 
could not make perfect. It was insufficient. That there was something else needed for the job. And I think we have in mind, we know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. There was something else. There was better things to come. And again, it points to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now here... We have not only the, uh, that the law could not uh, perfect or it could not make perfect, but secondly here in verses 2 through 4, the law could not purge. The law could not purge. Look at verse number 2. It says, For then would they have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. And so what he is saying here is, uh, this, this sacrificing that continually happened again, that was unable to make the comers thereunto perfect. And if it could, then, as the Bible says in verse 3, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. But listen, they, they continued. They, they continued. The Bible says here that, uh, uh, that these worshipers once purged should have had their conscience, um, have no more conscience of sin. And so that word purge, maybe this is something you'll write down in your notes this morning as well. That word purge, the law could not purge. It has this idea of cleansing or purifying, to cleanse or to purify. And really the, the idea here is to separate or to carry away that which causes the impurity to remove the impurity, purge that thing which defiles, that thing which is unpure. So we see that uh, this continually went on, this continual uh, need for purging, because it did not, it was not sufficient to do the job. And so again, it points towards something that could finally and once for all purge the comers there too, those that needed the cleansing completely and fully and eternally. So here we see the law's failure. The law could not perfect. The law could not purge. Again, it was only temporary. It was only momentary. It would have to be done again and again and over and, and over. Now, as we move our way down here, as we think about these sacrifices, look there at verse number 3. It says, But in those sacrifices... There is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And this is this idea of purging to remove or to take away the impurity there. And it, it could not take it away. Verse number 5, it says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body um, hast thou prepared me? Again, we're pointing to this, this altogether perfect, complete, once for all sacrifice that would fulfill what the law could not fulfill, what would, where the law failed, the fulfillment in Christ would be made. So we have the law's failure and that the, the law could not make perfect, it could not purge, and uh, the, the law here, thirdly, it could not please could not please look there at verse number five it says wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not but a body hast thou prepared me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no has had no pleasure then said 
I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Now here, the, the sacrifice and offering, the Bible said, thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. And we see in these burnt offerings, these sacrifices for sin, the Lord had no pleasure. The Lord, recognizing that these could not do the job that needed to be done, that there needed to be something better. There needed to be more. So God, He didn't take pleasure in these animal sacrifices in comparison to the sacrifice of His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about the the, 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 the potency, the effectiveness here, there was nothing that could match the sacrifice of Christ. Now, where the law was insufficient, where, where the, the law failed, listen, Christ fulfilled. Where the law failed, Christ fulfilled. Christ completed. Now, we have... The failure of the law. And this is presented plainly before us. Now this was important for the, uh, the, the hearers here to, to take all this in. Now as we look or stand back and look at the book of Hebrews as a whole here, we have recognized that these are professing believers that have come out of Judaism and put their faith and their trust in Christ as the Savior, as the Messiah, and they are to trust Him, to follow Him. But yet there was such great persecution. There was conflict there. There was a, a continual pull to go back into Judaism. And it was essential that they understood because they had this, uh, you know, this exalted idea, this, this great affection towards the high priest and the sacrifices that were made and the ceremonies that were carried out. And again, this carried great weight to those people in that day. And it may not have that much of, a, of an effect on us, or it may not have um, you know, that, that, that uh, powerful of a, of a place in our minds, in our heart, but we can rest assured it surely did for them. And this was an essential truth that they must recognize in seeing the insufficiency of the offerings that were made by the high priest. That... They had uh, a time and a place, but they have been removed. They have been replaced. They have been uh, set aside for that which is better, for that which is superior. So we see the law's failure. It could not perfect. It could not purge. It could not please God. Now, as we look at the next portion of this passage, uh, this is where it really gets good. I say that. This is... You know, this is where we began to focus in on the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me, let me stop right there for a moment and say this. That, that is where our focus needs to be. Amen. Our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. Not on our works, not on what man can do, but what God has done for us. There is nothing that can replace that. There is nothing that can take its place in your life. And I want to I encourage you this morning. I want to, to even plead with you. Listen, open your eyes, place your affections, your heart, your desire upon the, the Lord Jesus Christ and His work in your life, His work for you. Listen, Jesus has done for us what no man can do. And you know, we ought, to, we ought to count that as a blessing, as a privilege. Listen, that ought to be 
the, uh, the most wonderful thing that our minds, our hearts can imagine this morning. Now, I, I know as you come to church today, you know, maybe you've got a lot going on in your life. I, I know that. I, I know that these are, are difficult days. There are struggles. There is responsibilities. There's a busyness about life. There is some concern. And there's often some fear that is associated with all the situations in our world. But, but let, me, let me just ask you to, to slow down for a few moments and to take some time and find rest in the promises and the truths of this passage. Listen, I'm telling you, we need the comfort here more than we can imagine. We, we need the, the strong stability and the footing here that nothing else can give us. This assurance in our faith in Christ is paramount today. If we want to be secure in our, in our thinking, in our, in our walk, then listen, these truths need to be precious to our heart. Knowing what Christ has done for us, the, 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 the altogether perfect Savior, listen, has thought upon us and is mindful of us, has laid down his life for us. Here in this passage, as we look on, we're going to see verse number 7, uh, the fulfillment of that which has been prophesied, that which has been pointed to and foreshadowed, we see the fulfillment of the sacrifice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. It says uh, there, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, notice this, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering, um, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. Again, we're talking about the law. We're talking about this first covenant, the Mosaic covenant. There, He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, that which is superior, that which is better. The, the new covenant with its basis there in the death, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, as we look there at... Uh, uh, this wonderful passage, maybe you'll write some quotation down. Uh, this is a quotation from Psalm 40 and verses 6 through 8. Maybe you'll go and look at that a little bit later. We see um, this quotation here. But as we think about the fulfillment of uh, the prophecies, the fulfillment of the foreshadowed, what was done in type is now being fulfilled in reality through the death, through the shedding of blood of Christ and the sacrifice of himself. There is some important truths for us to grab here. And uh, one of the most important, I would point to this, that we need to understand this, we need to know this, that God has determined the means of man's salvation. Right. Uh, listen to me when I say that. God has determined the means, the, 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 the means that would be accepted by Him that, that could save the soul, could forgive the sins, could cover to wash away, to remove the sins of man. God has chose, God has ordained, He has decreed the means, the way of salvation. Man does not make that choice. Man does not conceive or contrive in his mind how it is that he'll get himself to God. Listen, only God decides that. Only God has determined that. That's not our place. And Listen, we'll fail in seeking to do so. 
We may be able to please our own conscience or our own selves or even uh, you know, other people in this world, but one day every single one of us is going to stand before God. And it won't be what we thought we could have done for salvation. It will be, have we accepted what He has done for us? Have we put our faith and trust? Have we received salvation that was provided for us through Jesus Christ? Or have we tried to go our own way? So the Bible teaches this truth. Really one of the, the names of the Lord Jesus Christ is He is the door. He is the door. Listen, we can't come in any other way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, but by Jesus Christ. We can't sneak in the back way. We can't make our own way. He is the only way. Now, look, we're there in Hebrews. Let's, uh, let's flip over there to 1 Peter. Let me show you a passage there. 1 Peter chapter 1. Go over there with me real quick. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's look at a verse here. We are talking about Christ's fulfillment of... That which has been prophesied, that which has been foreshadowed, his payment for sin, his once for all sacrifice was made in accordance with the will of God by God's ordained and decreed plan and purpose. And we see that in several places in the Bible, but I point to this one here in 1 Peter chapter 1. And look there with me at verse number 19. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 19. Actually, let's just go up to verse 18. We'll start there. 1 Peter 1 and verse number 18, For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, for your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as the Lamb without blemish and without spot, notice this, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest... In the last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and give him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. What a wonderful passage of scripture. I love verse, verse 20. It says, who, who verily was, speaking of Christ here, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Listen, this points to just a, a, a wonderful truth that God determined the means in which the salvation of man would be atoned for, would be paid for, would be, uh, would be bought and purchased. You know, this is a wonderful truth for us, but we must recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ in the will of God the Father, laid down His life willingly in payment for our sins as the only acceptable sacrifice. Now, the Old Testament abounds with prophecies of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, the, the Old Testament abounds with these prophecies. It abounds of, of, of passages which speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love, as I read through the Bible, to, to see not only all the, the typology there of Christ and all of the prophecies there of Christ. And uh, The Bible is so rich with, uh, with just illustrations and, and types of Christ all throughout the Word of God. I believe we can, we can find Christ in each and every book in our Bible, and we can see the, the, the picture, the place, the pointing to of Christ. And, 
And really, it's important for us to, to, to notice that and to take note of these things as we study the Bible. And um, I, I guess I've, I've preached on this before, but um, one of the first, uh, what is the first prophecy of the coming of the Savior is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And maybe if you haven't been there, you, you mark that reference down. Uh, I won't have you turn all the way over there this morning. But, but there, uh, the Bible speaks there of the seed of the woman who shall bruise the serpent's head. I was talking about in the Sunday school how, how the, the, the serpent had, had beguiled Eve there and had, had, uh, had led them astray from the, the true worship and obedience to God and just brought them into a world of trouble. They willfully sinned against God, but yet Satan will not be the ultimate victor over God, over man. We understand that the prophecy here speaks of a savior, one who would come and would bruise the serpent's head. It speaks of a, of a mortal wound there. Again, Satan will not be victorious over God's purposes and plan. Satan will not be victorious over God's creation and, and that of his will for man. But there, in that prophecy, again, points to a, a, a coming Savior, the, the, the work of the Savior. Now, as we go on through the Bible, here's another um, passage, write this one down in your notes too, in Luke 24, verse 44. The Bible says this, These things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. So there in Luke 24, 44, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples, and he is, he is pointing back to all those things that were written concerning him. He said there in the in the in the, the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in, in the Psalms, those things concerning me. So we, we know, we have understanding that the Lord had not only foreordained there, that the Lord had, had determined the means of the salvation of man, but it had been prophesied, it had been pictured and foreshadowed all throughout history, and at the right time in God's purpose and plan, the Savior was born. The Savior was born of a virgin, sinless and perfect. The Savior was born with a plan, with a purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to die. Now, as we think about that tremendous truth and understanding that this is not something that man just came up with, that this is not something that, that some man just recorded in a book, but this was God's plan. This was God's purpose, and God's plan and purpose will be fulfilled. It will be carried out. The requirements for salvation from sin were ordained by God. And Christ, in His sacrifice, and Christ in laying down of His life for sin, fulfilled those requirements as nothing else could. As, as, as nothing else could replace. Look back there in Hebrews 10 and verse number 8, and let me point to this. Hebrews 10 and verse 8, the Bible says there, Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. 
by the which will. Now, the will we're talking about here is the will of God. The will for the Son of God to come and to lay down His life in payment for sin. He says in verse 10, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What an important phrase there at the last part of verse number 10. Once for all. Now this stands in great contrast to the sacrifices there that were made in the tabernacle. This once for all sacrifice, it didn't continue on day to day in the, in the daily ministering of, uh, of the high priest. But this was a sacrifice that was made once for all. It was, it was made once, and it was sufficient in its one-time offering, one sacrifice. Now, this is, this is so important for us to grasp. Now, in verse number 8 and, and, and 9, as I pointed the, the removing of the old and, and the bringing forth of the new, let, let me point this out that we need to understand this, that the two systems, if you will, cannot coexist. They couldn't take the law and the Savior and have some type of mixture of those together and it'd be pleasing to God. They, they couldn't decide, well, we'll trust in Christ and, and, and we'll, we'll call upon Him as our Savior, but these sacrifices and these ceremonies will keep us in God's favor and in a right will of God. Listen, they, there was no intermixing of the two. Right. One had to be removed for the other one to be set up and established. One, one had it to be set aside for the other one to be brought to the forefront. And what they were to do was to recognize that Christ was all they needed. That His sacrifice was all that God was demanding of them. And they were to put their faith and trust in Him. I love that verse 10. It says, by the which will, the will of God, that Christ would be the once for all sacrifice for sin. By the which will. Now, God's will for Christ to be sacrificed for sin. Listen, this, this must be a, a, a point that we, that we understand. That we, we, we not only understand, but that we, that we receive. Um, now, there is, there is one thing, or it is one thing to, to say something with your mouth. It's another thing to truly believe it by faith in your heart. Now, we know this, and I think we could point to this. Historically, we recognize that the person of Jesus Christ existed. And, and you say, well, I know, we, I know he existed. We, we can recognize historically, and you know, there's not a lot of dispute about this. There are some that try to say that Jesus, the person of Jesus, never existed before. But there is, there is ample historical proof of the existence, not only within the record of the Word of God, but even in external writings and secular writings, there is proof, there is evidence of the existence of Jesus Christ. And I believe that is, um, you know, people would fail in their effort to refute that. But yet, listen, it's, it's much more than believing that there was a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing that, that this Jesus Christ died on the cross in, in payment for sin. Listen, we can know that. 
We can understand historically that that took place. We can know and understand historically that the same Jesus that died on the cross was spoken of. He was seen by uh, his, his followers above 500 after his resurrection. And we can say, well, I know the historical account of that. And many gave their lives because of the experience they had in the presence of the risen Christ. And maybe we... we we acknowledge those historical facts. But let me say this. It's one thing to know them with our mind. And it's another thing to receive them by faith in our heart. Listen, just to know those things and to even acknowledge our understanding of those things, listen, that is not sufficient for our salvation. Just like this truth was being presented to these who had come out of Judaism, it wasn't enough for them just to nod their heads yes when these things were being said. Listen, they had to forsake what they were trusting in for salvation. They had to turn from what they were trusting in in salvation and fully put their faith and trust, their dependence in the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That was that is all, that was all then, it was all now, and it will, will be all that God will ever accept as payment for sin. Now this morning, you and I are left in that same place of decision. The Bible speaks of this will of God for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for, for salvation. He says, by the which will we, speaking of believers here, we are sanctified. What a wonderful word there. We are, are sanctified. And you know that word, if you want to write down a, a quick definition there, excuse me, that word, it has to do with, with separation. It means to be separated from, to be set aside. It means to be consecrated, to be made holy, be purified. We are sanctified. By the which will, we are sanctified. Now, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith and trust in that offering for our sin. Now here, what is important for us to recognize, again, in contrast to the sacrificial system of the law, is this all-important phrase, once for all. Once for all. Look there at the last of verse number 10. The Bible says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering, the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. Look at verse number 14 with me. Verse 14, it says, For by one offering he hath perfected, there's that word again, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Look at verse number 18. Verse 18, it says, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. You, you catch that? No more offering. It was a once for all offering. There was no more offerings for sin that needed to be made. This is the all-sufficient offering that has already been made for us. Now, look with me at verse number 11. Verse number 11. Verse 11, the Bible says there, And every priest standing daily, ministering and offering, oft times the same sacrifices, notice this, which can never take away sins which can never take away sins. You know, I, I like here how it says that, uh, the Bible says in, uh, in verse number 11, that every priest standeth daily. 
You know why they're standing? You know why there's no chairs for them to sit down there in the tabernacle? We looked at that last week. You know why they're standing? Because their work was not finished. It continued on and on, year by year, day by day, ceremony after ceremony. The Bible says there in verse 11, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, again, that were insufficient, that were ineffective, which can never take away sin. Look at the contrast, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Notice the posture here. He's not standing ministering daily often and again and again, but he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever. The Bible says that he sat down. We learned earlier that he ascended into the heavens and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Listen, that posture is a posture of a work or someone who has finished their work. When Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross, you know what he said? He said, it is finished. It is finished. Salvation has been paid for. Sins have been atoned for. And this is the the one and only sacrifice that would be received by God. Now this idea of, of taking away sins, this is an important thought, and I want us to really, I want us to really get this here. We've talked about all the, the pictures, the foreshadows of the law and the sacrifices of the law that uh, were to give us greater illumination or understanding of the sacrifice of Christ. And really, um, a prominent day in the life of, of the Jewish people was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And this is important for us to get. And I want to I kind of explain this. Now, when the Bible speaks of the taking away of sin, the, the, the taking away of sin is foreshadowed on that Day of Atonement. And it's important for us to understand that. Really, this is something that we can rejoice under or, or rejoice about knowing the, the great contrast that is set forward here. But that day, the Day of Atonement, was a very, um, a very uh, important day of elaborate ceremony there. This was a, 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 an all-important day. Again, we talked about the most holy there, the, the holiest of holies in that second section of the tabernacle, and that was the place where only the high priest could go. We could only go once a year. And that was on that day, the Day of Atonement. And these, uh, these things are laid out in the book of Leviticus. And I encourage you, chapter 13 and, and on through, there's um, a great description of this. But on that very elaborate day of, of ritual and ceremony there, um, sin was atoned for. That one day a year, the Day of Atonement. Now, before entering there, the, the high priest, there was some specifics that he had to do even to prepare himself for that specific day. Uh, one of the things he had to do was he had to, he had to bathe. He had to wash himself of, of the uncleanness, the, the outward uncleanness there. Again, this was of importance. He would have bathed himself. He would have put on special garments. And, um, you know, garments that have been specifically detailed by God. And all these things have been laid out by God with specific parameters. So he was to bathe himself. He was to put on special garments there. He was to, to get a bull. And he was to to kill that bull, make that bull as an offering for his own sin and for the sins of his family. And this is an important contrast, as we pointed out earlier in our study, 
Uh, when we are talking about the contrast of high priest, listen, this great high priest, the earthly, the human high priest, he had to make a sacrifice for his own sin first. Listen, our great high priest is sinless and perfect. Here, this high priest had to, had to make an offering for his own sin there, the sins of his family, and then he was to take the blood there and sprinkle that blood of the bull upon the Ark of the Covenant, and then he was to take two goats. And um, again, this was important that they were of the right sort, that they were, they were spotless, they were out blemish there. And, and he was to take these two goats and he was to sacrifice one for the sins of the people. To sacrifice one for the sins of, of the nation there. Its blood, again, was to be sprinkled upon the Ark of the Covenant there. And the other goat is, is known as what we call the, what the Bible calls the scapegoat. And this is important for us to grasp this morning. That, that scapegoat, it was, it was not to be killed, but that, that scapegoat, the, the high priest there, Aaron being, and then his descendants was to, to come and to place his hands upon the, the head of, of that goat there, that, that scapegoat. And he was to confess over the head of that goat the sins of, of the people. And again, that uh, in essence, as he put his hands upon that goat and confessing the sins upon that goat, that, that goat was to be given over, delivered over to, to a, a fit man. He was to take that goat out, not to kill the goat, but to release the goat out into the wilderness, to let the goat free. The, the goat would, would go, and, and with it, again, the the, the, the foreshadowing here, with it, as it was released there, it was to carry away the sins of the people. It was to take them, take them away. It's something as we think about the hands being placed and the, and the goat being released there, it was to, to be released and to carry away the sins that they might be forgotten for another year, might be forgiven, forgotten for another year. They would be gone, taken away, purged of of those sin for another year. But you know, something that this ritual could not do, it could not provide lasting atonement for sin. The Bible says that it could not, it could not in completion take away sin. We see the insufficiency. This is only a, a foreshadowing of better things to come. Now, the foreshadowing is important for us to understand. In this ritual, sin was both propitiated here in this, and as we, we look at the details there of, of propitiation, the, the idea of propitiation there is the act of appeasing the wrath of God. So that, that one goat that was to be slain, his blood sprinkled upon the Ark of the Covenant in payment for sin, the atoning of sin, it was to appease the wrath of God upon sin, the sin of the people. And, and here also, as we think of, of this idea of, of propitiation, here sin was not only to be propitiated, but it was to be expiated. It was to be, as we look at the wrath of God, to be, a, to, to be appeased, but, but also here the act of atoning for sin or the removal of that sin, to be forgotten, to be put aside. And this is so important for us to grasp. This was to, to purify or to, to forgive one's guilt. Again, sin was to be taken off and, and forgotten. Now, there are some very important 
New Testament references for us, and, and I want you to write a few of them down as we think of this act. Now, I point to this, that this act, the, the act of the Day of Atonement, this, this uh, you know, intricate ceremony and ritual here, these this acts were insufficient. They had to be performed every year. They had to be performed again and again and again. Well, the Bible says of Jesus, verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Jesus only needed to sacrifice himself once. One time. Now, he appeased the righteous wrath of God upon sin. He appeased that righteous wrath by the payment of his very blood upon that cross. The Bible gives us wonderful um, New Testament quotations here, and I want you to write these down. First uh, John chapter two verse two. You remember these from our study in First John. First John two two. The Bible says he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Here's another one. First John chapter three verse number five. The Bible says he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. You see the great contrast there? He was manifested. He came and was revealed. He came to take away sin. In Him was no sin. Another wonderful verse. This is from Psalm, Psalm 103 and verse number 12. The Bible says there, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. You know, here in the once for all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, our sins have been atoned for. The righteous wrath of God toward our sin has been appeased by the sacrifice, by the propitiation of Christ. He is, uh, the Bible says, He is the propitiation for our sins. We understand that with this sacrifice, He has once and forever taken away our sins. He is removing the penalty of our sins as we put our faith and trust in His payment. He has, he has taken away the guilt of our sin. Listen, He has taken away the memory of our sin. As far as the east is from the west, so hath He removed our transgressions from us. You know, as I look at these wonderful truths, you know what? You know, this, these wonderful thoughts arise in my mind. What a sacrifice! What a sacrifice. What, what a sacrifice, but what a Savior. What a Savior. Listen, I want you to understand this. That every one of us this morning, Jesus Christ has made that sacrifice for our sins. All of us. Each and every one of us. Now, what is important for you and I is this you know, this morning is, have we, have we put our faith and trust in that payment for sin and rejected and turned aside from our faith in anything else for salvation? So I want to encourage you this morning to allow the Lord to work out these truths in your heart. There is nothing that can compare to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can stand beside. There is nothing that can be um, set beside or, or, or weighed against that will in any way 
surpass that which what Jesus has done. It's in our place this morning. It's in the best choice, the decision we can make in our life this morning is to come before him humbly, helpless, come before him with an understanding of our lost and, and unsaved condition if we're not saved. And come before him and seek him for our salvation. He's the only one that the Lord has accepted. He's the only one by which we can have our righteousness through him. And I want to ask you this morning, are you trusting in Jesus Christ, excuse me, in the supreme sacrifice for sin? Could you say, I know for sure that I have a home in heaven. Could, could you say, I, I know that a shadow would die if I were to die today, if today would be the last day of my life, I could step out in eternity, not trusting what I have done, not trusting what some other man has done for me, but what Jesus Christ has done for me for salvation. Is that your testimony? Because if it's not your testimony, I want you to understand, it could be your testimony today. I, I ask you, what, what is keeping you from putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? What is keeping you from that? Do you think you can, you can do something that will surpass what God has in His will <coughs> given the Son of God to do? I remind you of that truth we talked about earlier the way of salvation was ordained by God. You won't step in the way of that. Your works will not impress God. Your church membership, your baptism, your affiliation to some religious organization, none of those things will impress God. There's only one sacrifice that God will receive in payment for sin. That was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to stand with me this morning. Let's bow our heads and let's seek the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of your people this morning. Lord, those that are here that are saved, Lord, I pray that we could rejoice. What a sacrifice, what a Savior that we have. Father, help us not to allow one day to pass that we don't thank you for our salvation. Let not one day pass that we don't recognize our insufficiency and your great sufficiency. Help us to recognize every day the supremacy of Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I pray that we would give you the preeminence in our life. Lord, that the message of Christ would be upon our lips. The praise of, of our Savior would be our testimony. Father, I pray for the one or others that may be watching, uh, anyone that doesn't know you as Savior today. Father, I pray that you'd work in their heart, that they come to trust you as Savior before it's eternally too late. Father, and we seek you for their salvation today. Father, help us, use us as you seek to work on their heart. Father, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and we're going to turn there to page number 124. 124.